I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Adami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Dan Nathan. Tonight on Fast, the ugly ducklings in today's record rally. The three charts that didn't look too pretty, according to one of our traders. We'll lay out the names. Plus, speaking of ugly, check out Ulta Beauty in the after hours. The stock is plunging as the company's CEO announces she is stepping down. We'll bring you all the details. And later, blockchain meets the block. The big money details on the most expensive NFT ever sold at auction. We start off with what could be the best of times for the market. Stocks hitting record highs, stimulus checks rolling out, vaccines ramping up, virus cases dropping. And then there's this. Clearly, as we annotated on the screen, this is a fake. This is a deep fake. It's a Fed meme, and it's certainly getting a lot of attention today. It does underscore the fact that no matter what, the Fed has got your back. Things are going to get hotter in the economy, and the Fed's still going to be there. So could this be the best of times for the market guy? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting. First of all, now I have, what do they call those things, an ear tick when you get a song in your head that you can't get out. They rickrolled. You just basically rickrolled the entire United States and maybe parts unknown as well. I don't know how fa far the Fast Money Show goes, but I'll say this. You might think the Fed has your back. The Fed doesn't have your back. The Fed has our back the same way uh, the neighborhood bookie used to have the back of the guy betting the Monday night football game. It, it, it's, it's folly to think that. Now, I understand the market believes that right now, and I get... Um, some of the exuberance that we're seeing. Um, but I think it's just, it's, I, I think it's misguided to think that somehow the Fed is going to guide us through this and, and, and sort of thread the needle to the other side. I just don't think it's happening. And oh, by the way, I don't know who Katie is, and I'm not sure why she had to bar the door. But if the TLT goes through 135 on the downside, look out, folks. Katie bar the door. Karen, what do you think in terms of the, the the temperature of the market, the environment right now, because right now everything holds promise, holds hope, and we know that the Fed is going to do their most to keep interest rates as low as they can. Right. That is true. There's so many good things to point to, right? The reopen trade and the, the stimulus package and the, the vaccines uh, making their way through the population and the reopen trade really strong. All of that but I feel like we're, we seem to be up every day the last few days on that exact same news, right? The stimulus has been happening for a while in slow motion. You could have seen it coming. The reopen trade has been happening for, in slow motion for a while. I mean, I just sort of contrast that with last year, a year ago, next week or so. Obviously, the market was terrible. If I had said this pandemic is so much worse than we think, we're going to shut down. Every state's going to end up shutting down. You wouldn't have said this is a great time to buy which makes me think, wow, everything does seem great now. Maybe it's not a great time to buy now, right? I can't help but think the risk-reward is skewed. All that having been said, I'm always long. I never try to time the market because I'm sure that I would be terrible at it, but it does feel very frothy. Not that claims ever are market moving, but today claims were at a four-month low. We got CPI data earlier this week basically saying inflation remains in check, which is a big concern of the markets, Tim. So where do you stand here? It's, it's hard. I understand the concern that Guy states. I understand the concern that Karen has, even though she is still long. But it's, it's hard to argue against this force here. 
Well, first of all, we have to have a little trade school because people get very concerned when they get rickrolled. And so for folks across America, this is when someone sends you a text that says, hey, check out this picture of my dog. It's so cute. And you you click on the link and it's a Rick, Rick Astley singing this fantastic song that's now stuck in all of our heads for the rest of the day. So there's your trade school on being rickrolled. As far as the Fed, is the Fed rickrolling us or is the Fed got our back? Look, um, I, I don't I don't think it's either. Um, I think clearly with Janet Yellen now in the Treasury chair and Jerome Powell and, and Janet believing the same thing, uh, we've gotten a double dose of monetary policy meets fiscal policy. Right now, very good news. The Fed also has told you, as in those CPI numbers, that inflation is transient and that this is a dynamic that, if anything, they're going to let, uh, you know, the, the symmetry on the side of overshooting is also the market's friend. So uh, what I worry about is, is when the Fed is going to give us any indication of when they have to reverse field. But of course, uh, we've been most focused on, on interest rates and look at the tenure. And, and, and so um, I think the minute we actually fear that the Fed is getting involved is when you're actually going to see yields fall because people believe that if you remove all of the punch bowl here, you're actually going to see a lot of this go away and that it would actually lead to a flight to quality. So, you know, I'm of the view that in the short to medium term, there really is a, an extraordinary environment. We had a 10 percent correction, maybe one of the quickest of all times in the Nasdaq, uh, a four and a half percent correction in the S&P. And, and I think we got a lot out of our way. I think there's a ton of liquidity. I don't think that the world is perfect. I think there's a lot of problems and I think the market's expensive. Um, but this is the same story we've had for the last nine months. Yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, Goldilocks for now, Dan. Goldilocks. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, I empathize with Guy's point about what central banks are, are doing. And really, I think the issue where he is grounded at is that every single one of these crises we have and every single policy response that we get is just furthering this income inequality gap that just is really going to be an existential threat to the, the, the globe at some point here. You know, we've seen populist movements politically over the last five years or so, and I think they're really grounded in some of what guys talking about. All that being said, talking about the stock market here and talking about the economy and the economic response to the worst health crisis and the worst recession that we've had in almost 100 years, they kind of did their job here. We're not in a depression. A year ago right now, I would have told you that we would have had structurally high employment. I did tell you that above 10 percent, 11 percent or something like that. And here we are now, you know, at six and a half percent or something like that. You mentioned the claims and that was up from three and a half percent, which was a 60 year low, I think, in January of 2020. So they did the job. We're not in a depression. Yes, there's a lot of people who are still feeling the adverse effects of this pandemic and the economic lockdowns from it. But risk assets don't seem to mind here too much. And so for all intents and purposes, they kind of did what they set out to do. At some point, though, throwing $5 trillion that's borrowed from the future just to keep this going is going to be the issue here. And that's why I fundamentally don't think rates are ever going to go meaningfully higher. We have to service all of this debt globally that we just keep piling on every crisis that we have. Rates will, it'll be difficult for rates to ever go higher because of all of the debt that we have. I, I get that sentiment. In the market context, Guy, is that actually good news, though? I mean, that seems really perverse and opposite and good news is bad news. But I mean, that's actually a very good environment for stocks. Yeah, no, listen, I understand. I mean, we talked about, I think, one of the nights this week, a rising rate environment historically is very good for stocks. And listen, maybe this thing continues just to do the grind 
and you started with the best of times, right? I mean, but you have to wonder who is Sidney Carton and who is Charles Darnay in this equation for you uh, literature fans out there. I encourage you to go to your Google machine. I happen to think that we're going to continue to go and we're going to go to 2%. We're obviously not going to triple um, like we did from August to now, but I do think we have this move to 2%. In, in the near to midterm, and I think by the summer we're talking about 2% 10-year, and I think the market, specifically some of these high-flying, high-valuation NASDAQ names, are not going to like it. That's been the pillar of the broader market, and if that falls, um, you know, you got to look out and see what happens with S&P. That's my view. Now, I know that David Tepper spoke on Monday. He has a completely opposite view. He's smarter than I am. He's better looking than I am, and he's wealthier than I am, so you should probably listen to him. But this time, I just get a bad feeling that rates going higher are not going to be uh, very positive for the market. All right. Well, maybe no surprise. Uh, Dan has spotted three ugly duckling charts in the market, charts that have got him worried about where we are right now. So, Dan, take us through them. Yeah, I mean, listen, these charts are actually emblematic of the stock market over the last year in a way, and you're calling them ugly ducklings. I just thought the price action was not particularly impressive as the market has rallied with the S&P now right back at all-time highs. Let's start with the big kahuna. Let's talk with Apple. You know, this was a $2.3 trillion market cap at its all-time highs. Um, here it is. It's down about 15% from those uh, highs in late January here. I think the chart looks horrible actually i was kind of geek like really kind of gearing up for this thing to kind of hold 130 and play for a move back to 143 um, a couple weeks ago but it just gave up and if you look at that break of the uptrend from the march 2020 lows that is meaningful the downtrend from the january highs leads me to believe that you might see 107 which was the november low pretty soon another one obviously this is just a different ball of wax altogether Tesla, to me, has a combination of broken technicals and what I think is about to be just an onslaught of competition, which is really going to strain the fundamentals here. This chart is down about 20% from those all-time highs just made a couple months ago. It's obviously had this very sharp bounce. Look at those trend line. Look at the trend line from March, the breakout level from November. Look at that 200-day moving average. That thing's got 500 to me all over it, so be careful here if that thing starts running on solar flares after such a sharp bounce and then lastly it's zoom this is one that i think you know obviously won the pandemic here great product great service great management they're doing the right things they're executing now i'm sure they're executing well in what's going to be a challenging environment going forward but that chart is probably one of the worst in, in the entire NASDAQ. Maybe it has a move back to that downtrend that would be near 400 or so. I suspect it fails. And I'll tell you why I think it fails. Because this company is going to be faced really difficult comps going forward, decelerating growth going forward in a post-pandemic environment where, let me tell you, all those people that you didn't want to take a meeting with about a year and a half ago, you'll be gagging for it. Any reason to go meet somebody. So to me, I think you're going to see decelerating growth, meaningful decelerating rating growth and a revaluation of this name going forward. So maybe Karen will go meet Dan finally in person. <laughs> Karen, which, which um, chart concerns you, if any? I mean, we've talked about Apple before, about some of the poor price action on certain days when the Nasdaq has done a little bit better than, than Apple, and Apple's been a laggard. Yeah, well, I'm long Apple, and, you know, to me, it's really driven by the fundamentals. It is expensive, though, but everything in this market is expensive. So, you know, I want to wait to see what earnings are and how the 5G story plays out and how the services plays out. I'm not in it for the car, for sure. Um, but to me, Zoom, I, I agree with just about every word Dan said about Zoom, which is 
hard for me to believe, but that a great company, great management, obviously the pandemic's great for them. The valuation there, I don't know, you know, it's just levitating. And even if they continue to grow, which I think they will, that it doesn't matter. People are on to post-pandemic stocks. So, you know, what was, what was a tailwind is now a headwind. So that chart to me is the most concerning. Yeah. Well, we've been talking a lot about post-pandemic, about the hope of the reopening, the light at the end of the tunnel. So we wanted to know, are there stocks that actually worked during the pandemic that you should stick with post-pandemic? Each of the traders have uh, names, their own names. So let's go around the horn. Guy, what's your pick? There's a laundry list to choose from, but I actually chose Blackstone. Comes out BX, as we used to say on the block desk. You look at this stock in a very stealth way. It's making all-time highs seemingly every day. The environment that we find ourselves in, both pre and post, has set itself uh, extraordinarily well for what Blackstone does. Flies under the radar screen. The naysayers will say too rich on valuation when compared to some of these other banks, but I don't think it's the other banks. I actually think that today's Blackstone sort of rivals what Goldman Sachs was in the late 80s and the mid-90s. So I think Blackstone rallies in either environment specifically as we come out of this. I think it continues to accelerate to the upside. Yeah. Tim, where do you go? I like Train Technologies, uh, Double T, and this is uh, formerly known as Ingersoll Rand. This is a case where uh, heating, cooling systems, and certainly around the housing trade and around the uh, the durables component of, of where we saw a lot of infrastructure build out was a, has been a great trade. It's also been a restructuring story and a spin out, uh, essentially, of, of two different companies and, and, and a story that over the last couple of years, this has been a, a bottom-up story. But the top-down around this still is very, very good. The, recover, the recovery in commercial HVAC uh, and cooling systems, but again, a company that's very involved in, in control systems and, and really the technology of HVAC uh, makes them trade at a premium, as they do. It's not cheap, uh, but these trends are going to continue, and, and this is a company that is best in class, and if you look at the way they've executed in the last year and a half and through the pandemic, they, the, the, the operational leverage in the business has never been higher, and they've proven that, and I think they deserve a, a better multiple than the one they have now. Do they benefit, Tim, from, com- from companies and, and buildings that need to revamp their air circulation because of the coronavirus? They've, they've, they've certainly had that as a catalyst. Analysts are talking about that. I, I think this is just a case where a lot of commercial systems are also in need of revamp. I know there's some question about the, the commercial real estate market and some of the issues, especially in the big cities. But yes, I think uh, new systems and the technology around those systems uh, and heating and air control is a big part of what they do. Yep. Karen? So mine is United Rentals, and um, I mean, it's a great company. They are the biggest, you know, it's uh, equipment rental. They're the biggest in the United States. They're almost entirely U.S. focused, which I like. Um, The stock is expensive to itself, but it is not expensive relative to the market. And things that were prior headwinds, like their exposure to the oil and gas industry, I think will become tailwinds and i just like the business model in that they generate a lot of cash i also do think that there is a secular shift in the construction business of people being more comfortable renting equipment as as opposed to owning it they're perfectly positioned for that so and even though it's expensive if we do see an infrastructure bill then i think they're going to be a prime beneficiary non-residential non-resi construction is the biggest part of their business. So uh, they will be right in the sweet spot for that. Dan, Nathan, what is your pick? 
Not an ugly duckling here. Um, let's look at Netflix here. You know, this stock is up 80% from its March 2020 lows. It's really underperformed the NASDAQ, which is up about 100% from that time period. And I'm going to actually take a page out of our friend Tom Rogers' playbook here. If you look at the appreciation of Disney over in the same time period, um, you know, since since Netflix got over 475, broke out to a new high in early July, it's basically gone sideways for the better part of that um, eight-month period or so, while Disney has just surged, gaining, I don't know, $150 billion in market cap. I actually think you may see a re-rating with Netflix as you see people come back to that as the Disney trade looks a bit full. And I also think that Netflix is likely on the cusp of doing something really tr strategic. Maybe it has to, something to do with live. Maybe it has to do with rebundling some stuff. Maybe maybe audio or something like that. I'll bet you 2021 is a year of innovation for Netflix after they accelerated some huge consumer adoption of their product and then they grow internationally. So to me, I think this stock is very tradable in this range since early July. Um, I think you want to buy it when it gets back down towards you know 500 and change or so um, and maybe play for a breakout later in the year on some big strategic news. Mm -hmm. All right. We've got a market flash on shares of Novavax. That stock is rocketing in the after-hour session. Let's get to Meg Terrell, who's got all the details. Meg. Hey, Melissa. So Novavax providing some final efficacy results on some data that we actually had seen at the end of January for its COVID-19 vaccine. And largely, the results are similar. That high efficacy they saw on the original strain in their UK trial, 96% against that B117 variant that is more transmissible, 86% efficacy. We had seen that before. In South Africa, uh, efficacy at 55%. We already knew that the efficacy came down there because of that B1351 variant. And that's about the same as we saw before. Now, they had more cases in this final cut of the data of severe disease, 10 cases across the UK and South Africa, all of which were in the placebo group, not the vaccine arm, providing 100% efficacy against severe disease. We're showing you here that the U.S. has ordered um, doses of Novavax. Of course, it has not yet gone through the approval process, and we have not yet seen the U.S. Uh, phase three data from Novavax, which could be required for them to file here. We don't know yet. Now, one more thing I'll point out to you just in this Novavax release here, which is very interesting. At the end of January, they suggested that the um, prior infection with the original strain in South Africa did not provide protection against that B1351 variant, which was kind of a scary thing to think about. But here in the release today, they are saying there's a suggestion of a, a late protective effect. So it does look like if you've been infected with the original strain, you have some protection against this new variant as well, Melissa. Back over to you. That's good news from that press release. Meg, thank you. Meg Terrell, the stock is up 24% right now. Guy. Yeah, I mean, maybe you should hedge this with buying some Dramamine because this was $130 stock in January 26, traded up to 330, round tripped it basically, I think down to 116. Here we are now. Uh, that's staggering moves for a pretty significant company in a very short period of time. So if you ask me what to do with it, I have no idea. I'm surprised, by the way, how poorly Big Cap Pharma has traded over the last month, month and a half. But if you ask me where to go in the space, I still think the best in class is Eli Lilly here. All right. Coming up, it's all about people, people. <laughs> the gavel just dropped on the most expensive NFT to ever hit the auction block. We'll tell you all about the crypto takeover at Christie's straight ahead. But first, Ulta Beauty looking ugly in the after hours. The stock is plunging as the company's CEO announces her departure. We'll break down the trade when Fast Money returns.
Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Ulta. Shares of the beauty retailer sinking in the after hours after announcing a huge shift in the C-suite. Let's get to Courtney Reagan with all the details. Courtney. Yeah, there you go, Melissa Alta, announcing a CEO transition effective in June as it reports those quarterly results, too. So current President Dave Kimball will succeed Mary Dillon as Dillon transitions to executive chair of the board for a year. Keisha Steelman will move to COO from chief store operations officer. And Robert DiRamaldo will be retired from the cosmetic retailers board at that time as well. Now let's go into the earnings. Ulta beating estimates by a wide margin on stronger than expected revenues. Comparable sales fell nearly 5%, but that was actually much less than the 11% drop analysts had estimated. And while transactions were down 12%, average ticket grew 8%. So fewer checkouts, but at higher totals. Margins also coming in above expectations. Like many other retailers, Ulta says there were lower prom- there was lower promotional activity, which ultimately helped those margins, as well as better merchandise strategies. Now, going forward, it doesn't look quite as good. Some disappointment here because the full year revenue guidance range does fall slightly short of analyst consensus, while Alto's full year comparable sales forecast of 15 to 17% is well short of the street's 20 plus percent expectation. Shares are down about 6%, but at least off the session lows as the call is ongoing. Melissa? All right. Thank you very much, Courtney. It is worth noting that Ulta hit a fresh 52-week high today uh, during the regular session before falling in the after hours. Uh, Karen, I go to you first. You have been in this stock. And so where do you stand on this change? Well, sadly, I have to say I do still own some. So um, I'm, I'm sad about that. The CEO change, something just doesn't smell right to me. She hasn't been CEO for that long. I think she started at the beginning of 2017. There's been a lot of growth. Um, so she, to me on the outside, I thought she was doing a good job managing the pandemic, obviously was a very difficult endeavor. I, I can't quite understand how they're comfortable giving guidance. First of all, who knows how things go, right? I don't understand in the, in the best of times how companies give full year guidance, but a time like this, I really don't get it, especially when halfway through the year, you're going to make a CEO change. And we talk about this often. What does the CEO do when they first come in? The kitchen sink it. I don't know if that's what's happened here. I'm not really sure. Something just doesn't seem quite right to me here. Um, you know, it's not cheap. That's the other thing. When you're a high flyer like they are and when you're pricing in a recovery like the market is in this name and you miss a little, you get hurt a lot. So I, I had liked the name a lot two hours ago, um, less <laughs> now, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it sort of play out and see what happens. I would think you see a number of downgrades. You should, I think. And it's not, I don't mean to be, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not knocking on, on Kimball that he wouldn't be good. I just, uh, something is off with the CEO change. It, it certainly wasn't, it wasn't telegraphed right. well, I think. Yeah. Tim, what's your take? Well, I, I think a, a conservative uh, guide here, I, I thought it was going to be more expected. I think the expectation was that there's no reason for them to get out there and be aggressive on the outlook with the comps where they are. But but the thing that's extraordinary about Alta is, is that even they faced as, as many headwinds as, as any industry, uh, certainly beauty faced during COVID, lack of gatherings, masks, you know, you name it. Um, I just they this leading platform continued to execute and continued to actually have decent numbers even through it. Um, so coming out of it, I, I just think they should be trading at a premium. I know they're not. I know they're not cheap. 
Um, but I think you're buying this weakness. I, I think it's a great category. This category was, was great going into it. Uh, and it, it, it remains a great category coming out of COVID. All right. Coming up, the Reddit rebellion is far from slowing down. What stocks are traders targeting this time around? We'll break down the names and the trades next. Plus, shares of DocuSign dropping in the after hours. What happened this quarter for investors to start writing off the stock? Those details ahead when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of GameStop on the move uh, lower in the after hour session. This is the uh, regular session uh, close here. It's down by about 3% right now. Ryan Cohen, a major investor and a board member, just sent a tweet just a few minutes ago. Um, it's a family program, so we're not going to show it. It's, it's what Guy likes to call a jiffy or a gif. Uh, apparently, it's uh, Luke Wilson in Dumb and Dumber, and he's on a trash can. Looks like he's trying to go to the bathroom. That's putting it politely. Um, and so the reason why we're telling you about this is, is recall when Ryan Cohen tweeted that cryptic soft serve vanilla ice cream cone tweet and the stock ripped higher. And so we thought we'd bring this to you because that is the kind of market that we're in. I'm not familiar with the movie Dumb and Dumber, so I don't know if there is a subcontext to this or nuance. For some reason, I want to go to Tim on this to see if he has any thoughts about this. <laughs> I appreciate that. Look, I, I didn't think Luke Wilson was in Dumb and Dumber. Am I oh, wrong is it on not that? Luke Anyone, Wilson? Can someone is help that, me? That's a blonde, I, blonde guy. I thought it was I Jeff it was Bridges. Jim, sorry. Nah. I don't know. You know, I'm not. Yeah, I as you know, Jim I'm not Carrey good at movies. Bridges, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I don't know if that's a scene significant or Did anything that like that. No. Jeff Daniels. <laughs> Jeff Daniels. That's what the people in my ear so, are telling me. Dan. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I was just going to say, this is a little fun fact. My wife, Sarah, went to the senior prom with Luke Wilson, so, but oh. I don't think he was in Dumb But Dumber. he's not related to this at all. Okay, so now this conversation is <laughs> completely off the rails. We just thought, thought we'd bring this to you because when GameStop stock unexplicably went up by a lot at one point, people went back to the Ryan Cohen tweet and said, look, he tweeted an ice cream cone and that's why the stock went up. And so we're showing you this tweet now. All right, let's talk more about some of these Reddit stocks and what is rising in popularity. Bring in Justin Jen of Thinkdom Alternative Data. Justin, great to have you with us. Do you have any thoughts hey. on this? Just curious. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, so I think that, you know, the uh, so first of all, let me explain what we do. We provide alternative data from the web. So instead of just tracking uh, filings or stock prices, you can track you know, where a company is hiring or where the locations are. And, uh, you know, uh, two months ago, we developed a Reddit mentions data set that can tell you uh, what are the stocks that people on Reddit are actively talking about. Um, I think uh, recently you're seeing a really interesting shift where uh, people on Reddit are not just YOLOing it. Obviously, you know, um, they may post things on Twitter, but there are some individuals that are... Uh, providing some really advanced analysis on some of these stocks. Uh, we see people on Reddit talking about LTV CAC ratios, or they're using product pricing to project sales. And some of this analysis is a lot better than you know what we've seen from hedge funds, frankly. So um, you're seeing kind of that rotation into, you know, let's say, um, out of stocks like GameStop, but into, let's say, tech, which we are are seeing a lot of movement for some of the big tech names, especially after the most recent correction. And I think it's going to be fascinating how this plays out, right? You have uh, amateurish investors um, who need to, who are learning finance, and you have uh, uh, people who know finance really well, professionals who are trying to innovate. And this is a battle that is taking place. 
And when you say rotating into tech, we're talking about some of the mega cap tech, so not necessarily names that you would associate with the Reddit crowd who might who you might think want to push a stock around. These are such big cap names that it, it, it would be very unlikely for them to have an impact on the actual trading of the stock. Yeah, so that's really interesting, right? Uh, GameStop, um, GameStop and, G- and AMC are uh, smaller cap stocks. They were heavily shorted, so uh, it didn't take too much to move the stock substantially. But now we're seeing you know, mentions of uh, advanced micro devices for, for this week alone up 30 percent, mentions for Apple up 40 percent. These are large cap, well-established names and technology. And um, I guess time will tell, uh, you know, how much they can how much they can move off some of these uh, uh, these talks on Reddit. But, um, yeah, we're seeing this uh, secular shift and we've just been really impressed by the analysis that's been done on Reddit. All right. Justin, it's great to see you. Hopefully we'll see you soon, Justin Jiang. All right, let's bring in Mike Ko. So Mike spotted a lot of short-dated options trading in one of the names that Justin just mentioned. So Mike, what are you looking at? Yeah, kind of like what Justin was talking about. This isn't just something that happened today. It's sort of been a buildup. I was taking a look at AMD, and we've seen call volume outpacing put volume for the last 20 days on average by about 2 to 1. And a lot of this activity is exactly what he was talking about. It's smaller investors, very short dated. Most of the options that traded today were, in fact, short dated, either expiring at the end of this week or the end of next week. For example, the 80 strike calls that expire this week were the most active and the ones that expire next week were also among the top 10 most active. And most of these trade sizes are about four, five, sometimes six contracts. So thousands and thousands of trades, but very small trades of anywhere from, say, a dollar a contract up to about two and a half dollars a contract. So the amount of capital being committed is relatively small. But it is having an impact when you start seeing volumes as big as the ones that we're seeing. We're talking about 250,000 contracts a day on average on the call side for AMD over the last 20 days. Yeah. Guy, thoughts on AMD? 74 and change was the low back on November 2nd, if you want to hearken back. And if you look where we traded to earlier this week, basically made that double bottom at a bounce. So I think you have a really tradable level here. And I know you're impressed that I knew it was November 2nd, Mel, because I can actually sort of zen it through the lens here. But that's your you're trading against. It's had a big sell-off. I think AMD sticks out to me out of all these names. I just assume you looked at your phone. Uh, Tim, where do you stand on semis at this point? <laughs> Well, look, they they have led all the way, and they certainly led the move down. It's been a pretty extraordinary couple days, and, and my view is that the growth and the cyclicality in the economy that people are also buying in industrials are, are where semis were were you know at least part of part of that story even before the cyclical industrial transport story became. I like I like semis. It's a long way of saying I, I think we're in an environment where they continue to innovate. Uh, there's obviously multiple different classes within the semis to to be investing in. Some of them are deserving of the higher multiples. Some of them are more commoditized chips. But um, semis are going to lead the market higher. All right. Uh, thanks, Mike. We will see you tomorrow for the full show. Options action, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Coming up, FedEx delivering big gains. Did you package this name up in your portfolio? One of the traders is a big shareholder. Find out their move straight ahead. And later, it's just people on the block, the hottest craze in art at center stage at Christie's. What it says about the future of crypto. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. The shippers delivering some big gains today. FedEx rallying nearly 3%. At one point, seeing its biggest gain since November. And UPS climbing more than 1%. So let's trade them. Tim? 
I like FedEx still. Uh, you know, I think the, the, the operational improvements they've made, also the integration and the ability to use kind of TNT and ground express and, and embrace uh, B2C as much as B2B was a big part of the, the earlier success and the move to 270 two years ago, and then the move down to, down to 90 and now back up to 300 and off those levels. Uh, we're going to get numbers last week. I think the market was largely well uh, well flagged on where these numbers are going to be. I think we want to hear a, l a lot more on margins. We want to get a lot more sense of, of really infrastructure and bottleneck issues. But uh, look, after years of underperformance and, and frankly, poor operations, uh, companies had three great quarters and I expect another one. Yeah. Dan? Yeah, I, just technically, I mean, Tim laid out the fundamental setup. I mean, obviously, they're cheap stocks trading below market multiple. Um, they did get hit, interestingly. You know, you would have thought that you would have seen some of this rotation out of tech into some of these more cyclically sensitive reopening sort of trades. I think the pull forward or the adoption of kind of e-commerce and just the, the demand that we're going to continue to see um, will be a real tailwind for these guys. Um, so, you know, I mean, you got 160 and one, you got... 250 and the other, you got you, you see the support levels there, um, and and they make sense as trades to the prior highs to me. Karen, did you ever get a chance to add to your FedEx? I did. You I did. did. I, it's a big position <laughs> for me now. I have UPS. I have a much bigger position in FedEx, which just is is cheaper. They obviously have moved together. I agree with everything that Tim said. The last quarter, people were very disappointed in the margins in their ground business, and I. Uh, they sort of laid it out as, all right, well, we had a lot of expenses and we're not going to see the revenue come through until this quarter. I hope that's right. I think that'll be right. And I think the market will re reward them if that is exactly what happened. But I, it's been a turnaround as well as a gr they, they've really pivoted well in the pandemic. And I think that as business opens again and they're able to do that higher margin deliveries to business, which is cheaper, you do many at one time, um, I think that will provide support as well. So I like it a lot. I, I've kind of, you know, put a flag in that. I have, a, I have a position here for sure. All right. Coming up, DocuSign under pressure on the back of its earnings report. We are breaking down the results and how to trade it. Plus, blockchain meets the block. The record sale at Christie's shining a new spotlight on the NFT craze. The details ahead. Do not go anywhere. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on DocuSign. The stock is moving lower on results. Kate Rooney's got the latest. Kate. Hey, Melissa. DocuSign with a healthy beat on revenue and earnings in the fourth quarter. But its losses widen as the e-signature company paid down debt. The earnings call just wrapping up with DocuSign CEO Dan Springer saying the results were a reflection of the ongoing digital transformation. He says the company went from a crisis response solution last year to a business-as-usual solution today. Springer says they're trying to drive automation to every step of the signing process. And DocuSign, he says, is well-positioned for the anywhere economy, as he calls it. He also highlighted international expansion. DocuSign's net losses widened in the quarter to $72 million. That was a big jump from $47 million a year ago. That was due to paying down debt. Still, after adjusting for stock-based compensation and some other expenses, DocuSign earned 37 cents. That was about 15 cents better than expected. Guidance also came in above expectations. Same with revenue. That jumped about 57 percent. 
year over year, and the company also saw record net retention rates. This stock, of course, has been one of the big software winners during the pandemic and grew triple digits last year. But it has also been one of those momentum stocks that got hit in recent weeks. It's now pretty much flat for the year. And tomorrow, don't miss DocuSign CEO Dan Singer on Squawk Box, 830 Eastern. Guys, back to you. All right, Kate, thank you. Look forward to that. Kate Rooney, um, Guy Dami, you have said that you think DocuSign will still be a winner post-pandemic. To this degree, though? Look at that. The memory on you is tremendous. I mean, we had that conversation a while ago and I was just thinking the same thing. So the, the you know, the simpatico going on today is really Nuts. astonishing. I do think it's a, it will be a continued <laughs> winner. If you look oh, since August 195 ish has been sort of the line in the sand on the downside. The move in the after hours is just basically giving back what we made during the day. People will knock them down on valuation. But you do, to a certain degree, have the growth that supports it. So I think you buy DocuSign on this sell-off. Yeah, I mean, I think that we have seen how much easier it is to sign virtually and digitally as opposed to being in the same room, Tim, certainly. I, look, I don't, you know, business as usual was the right way to say it. This is not a COVID stock. This is the way the world is going to operate. And, and uh, I think the disappointment here is expectations were going to be well north of 50 on the, on the bookings and the billings, I should say, and on the revenue line. I, I, it, just, look, it's a stock that's done almost nothing since, since uh, uh, late summer and has been consolidating around these levels. I, I think uh, people want to see where we go with this story coming out. And I, I do think it's, it's a story that is with us for forever. And I think business has changed around signing documents. Yep. All right. Up next, they say a picture is worth a thousand words, but for one piece of digital art, it's worth $69 million. Yep, that's right. We will bring you the details on the sale that's got the crypto world clamoring. And as we had to break, we are celebrating Women's History Month here at CNBC by spotlighting some of our contributors. Here's one familiar face talking about her childhood hero. The historical figure that most comes to mind for me is Billie Jean King. And I was a very, very young tennis player when she was near the height of her fame with the Battle of the Sexes match. And I was a tomboy and I loved playing sports and I always wanted to play on the boys team. And when Billie Jean King was playing Bobby Riggs, I have never rooted so hard for any person or any team as I did that day. And I didn't really realize until later all that she had done for women's equality and all the sacrifices that she made. Welcome back. A reminder, Kramer is off this week, but we have got a special report on the edge where we get the hottest takes on some of the biggest stories of the day. And that is coming up at the top of the hour. Well, the first ever major auction of an NFT brought in over $69 million at Christie's. It's the 19th most expensive piece of artwork ever sold on the block. The artist behind the piece is Mike Winkleman, known as Beeple. The take is uh, one of the top three for living artists in terms of sale price. By the way, Beeple will join Squawk Alley tomorrow morning. So you, want to, want, you won't want to miss that interview. That should be pretty interesting. He should be pretty pleased. He should be a happy guy. <laughs> um, Dan, what do you think? I mean, this, this seems to really throw NFTs into the mainstream. 
You know, it's really interesting. Brian Kelly has been talking about this sort of thing for years, actually. And it's funny because it's just bubbled up because of the size and some of the names being associated with NFTs just recently. And maybe that has something to do with Bitcoin again nearing that trillion dollar market cap up at its all time highs. I, I, I don't think digital art like this trades for what it's trading if Bitcoin and related um, cryptos are, are doing are not doing what they're doing. So buyer beware on the valuations. But I think it's proven the concept. and It's been around for a bit here. And I think you're going to see this sort of crypto just work its way into other parts of the economy, too, going forward. Uh, Karen, you are, are a, a lover of art. And so I'm wondering if this mm-hmm. has caught your attention, catches your interest. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's astounding, right? I thought that 6.6 million, which I think people sold the work for recently, very recently, that was an extraordinary number. Number last week, I was at Narc Gallery. We were talking about what an extraordinary number that is. This, I mean, this is just insanity. It's so interesting that we talk about the format of the work and the price. And do you know anything about the work? I really didn't. I looked at it today. Mm-hmm. It looked kind of interesting, but still, the format and the price are what's extraordinary. The work's cool. I, uh, you know, I think what Dan said about it being all related to crypto. If if Bitcoin weren't here this price wouldn't be here for sure. So uh, I don't know if this makes crypto go up, um, probably. Uh But certainly Bitcoin coming down would make these prices come down. It's further proof of the blockchain, right, of the validity of the blockchain and the uses of blockchain, Tim. And of course, Kings of Leon already did this. We talked to Yellowheart Media, who is behind the tokenization of that album um, that dropped last, uh, last week, is it now? Time really flies. Um, yep. So what do you, was, I mean, it was last Friday. Yeah, there, yeah. there's so many ways you can take this in terms of applications. Well, and, and especially it, in the art or the artist world. And, and again, this is about protecting the interests of, of artists and being able to target directly your audience and removing a, a lot of the uh, the extraneous, you know, middle men and women. So, I mean, you have a case here where um, the NFT, you know, the genesis of, of really, I, I think, the instrument um, was really around the art world or the artist world. And I think we're going to see a lot more of it. I do think that we've, we've often wondered on the commercial side of digital uh, digital assets and, and, and Bitcoin. And, and to the extent that we've talked about, uh, you know, where a Tesla or a Square puts uh, makes an investment for the ability to transact in crypto. I mean, this is really where we're seeing it at work. And this is really where it's exciting. And yes, I think this is enhancing the values and the valuations of the underlying assets because of some of the money that's chasing this. Yeah. I mean, when you, and when Tim says getting rid of the middleman, that's basically remaking entire industries with the widespread application sure. of this technology guy. And, and you know what it makes me think of? When Vlad Tanev of Robinhood says he wants same-day settlement, I think of this and this sort of technology, eliminating that vast expanse of middlemen. I'm I'm looking forward to the Mr. Peebles interview tomorrow on the Squawk Box, number one. Number two, it makes you wonder, though, I don't know who the buyer of this was, the savvy investor, but it makes you wonder if he or she had an underlying Bitcoin position that knowing full well a $69 million price tag would be pittance in terms of what it did to their underlying Bitcoin position, if you follow my drift. So conspiracy theory. Just food for thought there, Melms. With that, we'll go to break. Final Trades up next. Time for the final trade. Let's go around the horn. Tim Seymour. 
U.S. Steel could have been one of those names I threw in there on the COVID trades that are post-COVID trades, but hot rolled coil, that's right, steel prices have, have gone up two and a half times in the last year, and the balance sheet sensitivity for X is fantastic, so stay there, stay long. Good old HRC. Karen. <laughs> yeah, so if it was good enough for the, the C block or the D block, FedEx, it's a big position for me. Next Thursday, we will see. Um, I like it right here. Dan. Yeah, Guy Adami name here, Merck. I think you see a breakout above 75 headed back to the low to mid-80s. Guy, have you had time to think about that Ryan Cohen tweet, what it means? Yeah, because well, Jeff Daniels uh, called me in, and he was really <laughs> upset that he didn't know he was in the movie, Mel. Well done. Uh, AMD on the Mike Coco Beware reference. All right. Thank you for watching. Fast. See you back here tomorrow at 5 on The Edge. Starts right now.